second and third marriages, out-of-state family, family dynamics are always there, even when facing aging, memory loss, and a big move. I'm your host, Valerie Borgman, and today, Mike and Liz share their story of moving Mike's dad from out of state and dealing with a family they'd never even met. He was living in his wife's daughter and son-in-law's rental home, and they were not going to allow that anymore. You know, we couldn't pull him dragging and screaming onto the plane. Welcome to Desperately Seeking Senior Living, a podcast for sons, daughters, grandkids, and spouses who suddenly find themselves tangled in the search for senior living and care. If you liked today's episode, don't forget to subscribe and check out our doable download in today's show notes for a printable summary of the show and a bonus tip from our guest. Last summer, my father, who's 88, was in Tucson with his wife and the family of his wife wanted to move to Virginia. So I went to help him kind of pack his stuff up and kind of help clean out some sheds and really noticed that he was, you know, his memory was not there. He had a hard time, you know, putting things together. But if he was in his routine, he was fine, right? He could do the same thing every day without a problem and still come across very well spoken and educated. So he can come across as being you know, that, that the dementia hasn't, you know, taken him. Right. So they moved to Virginia in August, I believe. And it was, there was some, far do we want to go? (laughs) You know, there's, there was just some family dynamics between us that had been years in the making. And so we weren't that close, but still, you know, close enough that it was a, a, uh, I felt it was my commitment to him to take care of him basically. Right. And get him moved. So Got him moved, and then his uh, wife had a series of falls, and so she became not able to care for him. And so it became rather evident that he needed, you know, either to find a place to live or, you know, an assisted living in Virginia or come back home. And the family really asked to have, you know, kind of remove themselves of taking care of him. And so it was our opportunity to go out and try to convince him to come home or come to, you know, back to the Seattle area with us. And then we could figure out collectively what the next steps were. And so this was his wife's family saying that they were not going to take care of your dad. Correct. Yes. Yeah, correct. His third wife's family. We had never even met the family prior to this. Oh my gosh. Um, I have never met Trish, his wife, former wife, or deceased wife. And Mike had only met her a couple times. What was his memory loss like at that point? I think it was significant, to say the least. You know, when he was at home in the morning, he would get up and make his bed. He would feed the cat. He would change the the litter box. As long as he could do that and make his coffee. Anything that was out of... That routine. Or go, uh, or, and mow the lawn. And mow the lawn. But then he would also mow the lawn. Mow the neighbor's lawn. He didn't know where his lawn stopped. So there was that. You know, we, he was constantly asking where Trish was. Was at the hospital? Well, I never go get to see her. Well, we saw her this morning. It was, you know, as soon as we left the hospital, he couldn't remember where she was, what she was doing, why she was in there, or what we were doing, or what we were doing. 
had no idea who I was. And then at times he would say, you know, who are you and how did you find me? Um, it was significant. Wow. And how did you get him from, (laughs) (laughs) right? Because I think a lot of families have to deal with this. How did you convince him to get on the plane? Because you brought him back to Washington state. Right. Yep. How did that even work? Um, It was one of the most difficult things I've ever had to do. And it was really, I just kept, you know, saying that it it was temporary, right? For one, you know, nobody here can take care of you. I can take care of myself. No, you can't, you know, and, and so it was a lot of that conversation. We started too early in it. It should have been like a day or two days before we left instead of, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to get him out for a week, you know, and I'm like, well, we're leaving Thursday, you know, and you need to make this decision. And, but really I got to the point where it was pretty ugly at times. He had some real anger towards me for trying to get him out of there. He felt that he could live on his own, even though it was apparent that he couldn't. And even though every day at the hospital, his wife would say to him, you're going to go stay with Mike and Liz just for now. And that's really what I want you to do because I it will help me get better if you do that. And he would say yes. And then he had no memory of that, you know, within, yeah. you know, before but, he even got home. And so we would remind him of that. We attempted to tape a couple of those, record a couple of those conversations to play back, you know, on a later date. Oh, I love that. That really didn't work that well. Oh, no, it didn't. Um, but it was a good effort. <laughs> what didn't work about it? It, it, he he just wasn't, I don't think he could put that it was her talking, you know, I mean, oh. together without the, even the video, I mean, and then if it was video, you couldn't hear it. And so there was just a lot of, just there was quiet talking. That's a really great idea, though. I thought so. <laughs> yeah. That's a good thing to try. Yeah. And I mean, and it really came down to, it's like, you know, you're, if you don't go with me, It'll be the worst mistake you've ever made in your life because you will have guardianship, basically, right? I mean, the family had washed their hands of it. They made it very clear they were not going to take any, take care of him at all. He um, was living in his wife's daughter and son in law's rental home, and they were not going to allow that anymore. You know, we couldn't pull him dragging and screaming onto the plane. So we told him that if he didn't come with us just for a visit, that we would have no choice but to call Adult Protective Services. And I had already had a conversation with someone there in the event that we could not get him in the car or on the plane. What do I do? Wow. And at that point, you know, you they would would get really ugly and you would lose all control. So I think that some of that sunk in and the fact it was a, you know, we're just going out for two weeks, right? We just gave a very short horizon. We're going out for two weeks. And we did see a neurologist before we left who had a conversation and with my father and prescribed some Xanax to help us get on the plane. I love that you talked about it in terms of being a short time frame. That's something that we talk about a lot with families. And I love that you also enlisted the help of a doctor. You got the Xanax to get you on the plane. What was the flight like? It was the longest day and the longest, you know, 
half hour of our lives. Yeah, it's Virginia to Seattle. So, you know, it is not a quick trip, right? Through so. Denver, a long way over in Denver. We bought him some noise-canceling headphones, a neck pillow. He wouldn't have any of that. He just wanted to be on his phone. But of course, it didn't work. He didn't understand that. Oh, he didn't understand that your cell phone doesn't work on a plane. Right. right. Yep. And then, of course, you know, the flight to Denver was okay. It was morning when we when we left. Um, the flight from Denver to Seattle was horrible. He, you know, it was dark, got to be dark. It's, he has you a, know, kind of a sundowner. He definitely, definitely yeah. has that. With the Xanax, there was, I think, it helped keep him under control. But I think there could have been some hallucinations going on. And he really lost it towards the end. And we were just thought, like, if, if we don't land soon, he's going to just lose it. You know, because plane's going to be diverted somewhere. Yeah. I mean, it was, he didn't know who we were. He didn't know who Mike was. He thought Mike was an attorney. He thought Mike was a flight attendant. He told Mike to back down or he was on the lawsuit. I mean, it was just crazy. Oh my gosh, you guys. Yeah. And I know that, you know, like the bad lighting and the evening time and the time change and all of that was difficult. It was a rough flight. Wow. Wow. Is there anything looking back that you feel like you would have done differently? And I think, you know, a lot of it was just the layover if it was a quicker flight or a nonstop, but just, it was nine, you know, it's nine hours. It was nine travel. hours. Yeah. We had everything packed and he just did not. Yeah. And unfortunately he's not like we downloaded the octopus movie. We thought that would be kind of just, you know, mesmerizing and he could, oh, he wouldn't have anything to do with that. Doesn't watch and, TV at all ever. So. Right. So yeah. he was, yeah. If you have someone who would watch a screen, that would be definitely. And we had snacks and we had everything. We had the diaper bag pack. Yeah. Right. That's, that's hard for anybody. Anybody. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, wow. Especially the sundowning piece. Yes. 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 Was he like in between you guys? I'm trying to visualize this. No. <laughs> no. We no. gave him the window. Mike sat in between us. <laughs> uh, I, I took the middle seat like for the first time ever, you know, willing. So yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. And then the plane lands and what happens next? Yeah. And, you know, he's in a wheelchair because it's too far to walk for him. He's mobile and fine. Very, very fit. And that's the other piece, too. I mean, he is, you know, I, I wish my my labs looked like his. Um, <laughs> you know, he's he's always been very fit. He's always been very active. So he, he falls back on that a lot. Right. And well, I, you know, he, I was I ran marathons. Yeah, I, you know, rode my bike from Canada to Mexico. If I, I, if I work on my mind. Maybe something, you know, if I do some puzzling or if I do some testing, maybe that'll help me gain it back. And I'm getting better. You know, that's what he says all the time. I'm getting better. So all that's difficult because he doesn't doesn't understand that he's not. So he knew that he had memory loss. Yes. Yeah. Some of the time or all the time? I think all the time because he was pretty early. And he would say, you know, when he was first diagnosed, he would say to people, I have dementia, so I might not remember things towards, you know, right before he moved into the adult family home. I mean, he knew about it because I would hear him talking to people on the phone. He would say, you know, I'm going to take this test to prove them that I don't have dementia. So he knew about that. Which makes it even harder because he's fighting for himself. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, He he, he kind of, you step back a little bit and the, the family even our, my family. So my sister went down to Tucson to help beforehand. And it was a disaster because they went into it telling him what he was going to do and not making him a part of the decisions at all, even in his state that he was. I mean, and was 
it was apparent when I went down just after her and it's like a toddler, right? Without all the fun you have, uh, you know, it's, you know, this is, these are your two options. Which one do you want to do? Which one do you want to do first? Do you want to clean out the shed on the right or the shed on the left? And I think that he really felt from July through October that everybody was taking his power of decisions away and being a very strong-willed. Well, he was always, yeah, very obstinate um, and never did anything to make it easy on someone else. So the fact that Trish wanted to move to be with her daughter, even if he hadn't had the cognitive issues, that would have been something he would not have given into easily. Right. Because he does things that he wants to do. So there's, you know, that's tied up with his dementia as well. Yeah, I really love what you said about choices, which I also completely understand that being difficult for other family members, right? Because it's it's hard to think in those terms, you know, when it's not the normal way you would communicate. Right. Well, that's kind of how we parented our children. It was we gave them a choice of which one they wanted to do first, and they had to do both. And it didn't matter to us if they brushed their teeth or put their pajamas on first. And so if you can give somebody a little feeling of that they have some autonomy. And yeah, exactly. I think that did help with him. Oh yeah, it helped a lot. I got everything packed where nobody else could. So everybody else was packing things and he was taking it out of the box and putting it back on the shelf right behind him. So So now you've got him here and you brought him to your home. We did. Yep. Yep. And so then what? (laughs) Well, I, you know, had worked with you with, placement on my with my mom and I just knew that it was going to be difficult but I knew that it was the right thing to do and there was no other option you know he you just have to remind yourself like would he be safe living on his own would he let someone in the house yes he would let someone in the house does he know what a stranger you know a stranger yep. yeah he, he doesn't know what a stranger is he is not able to make decisions that are safe and just you know knowing this too knowing what is coming assisted living was not an option and so we had to convince Mike's sister of that and her husband. Yeah, I was going to jump in kind of the other dynamic here was my sister is wasn't ready to acknowledge that he needed to be in a home to take care of. So she took him and then so, she quickly came around. <laughs> so they and you know she's like and it's Christmas time so she doesn't want to and it's covid and so they made the determination to postpone that for almost a month. Yeah. So, and it took them that long to really get to the point where they were still not agreeing that he's ready, but they could see that there's not many choices. They didn't have, they weren't able to provide the care he needed. And I think that a lot of people just don't understand like what levels of care are out there and memory care is what he needed. And I think the difficulty of, you know, you mentioned having him at our house, right? The difficulty is, it is exhausting. When I was two weeks in Virginia, it is just, it is exhausting to try to have your life and maintain the care and needs for them, as well as just the emotional combativeness of all, all the time, right, that we were going through in Virginia. And, and it, you know, continued here when we got here as well. It was, you know, I'm going to get an attorney, I'm going to sue you, I'm writing you out of the will. I mean, all those things that just, you know, kept coming and coming and it is, it is draining. And just to give a little more background information too, he had only had, he'd had a diagnosis about two years ago of some dementia and then had not seen anyone until Mike took him to see the neurologist in back in Virginia. So there was no getting him on medications for depression, for his mood, any of that. So that certainly would have 
made this transition, I think, a little easier if some of that stuff had been dealt with, but it hadn't been, so. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it is so difficult. I mean, it's really honestly brutal, I think, just in general, the diseases, because you're right. A lot of folks, they have jobs, they have right. families, they have other things going on. And then I also completely understand your sister and what she went through, because it's hard to think of your dad in this way or any family member in this way. And you're losing, you know, you're, you're losing the way you used to communicate with them. I know you guys had a little different relationship, right? but it's hard for us to fathom because we're not actually like living it. And so it's just hard to imagine. Right. Right. And we see that a lot, you know, whether it's denial or whatever it is, it's just so hard. Yeah. It's not always good to change environments all the time. And here he moved from Virginia and then he was at your house and then he went to your sister's house. But I'm also kind of glad that that happened for you guys because it helped her really see what was going on. It yes. Did. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It did. To live it. Right. Because again, when you talk to him on the phone, I mean, he puts on a good show and still does on the phone. I mean, if he doesn't, if he doesn't know something or can't remember it, he can hide it just, you know, in a conversation, all of a sudden he can't hear you or, you know, there's something else that goes on or, Hey, I got to go to dinner and it's one o'clock. So, I mean, he has this mechanism to help him not be, you know, stymied with a question Uh or even if it's a conversation he doesn't want to talk about. His coping mechanism comes out very well. Yes. Yes. And that's actually something that we see a lot, even with couples sort of covering for the other spouse. Right, Um, right. He's also very charming. (laughs) (laughs) But so you guys had so much that you were dealing with because you also had to get power of attorney in place and you had to get his affairs in order too. So you were dealing with so much. His affairs were not in order. Not not to the point because his wife had taken care of everything. And then she's no longer there and she doesn't have the ability to tell me where things are. There's a lot of unknown, a lot of trying to work banks in Virginia and Tucson and here. And he uses two different names, a junior and a non-junior, independent of each other. And so there's all that. It's just, it's difficult to, to get things done. So you add that, that stress and making sure that the money's where it's supposed to be when it has to be and everything else that adds to it as well. I guess that would be one thing that I would just stress with people, get your affairs in order. So it doesn't, it's not so difficult. I mean, they were 87 years old and it seemed like they thought they were going to live forever. And they had wills. They had wills, but they were very, they were like, simple. You know, like legal Zoom, Zoom kind of type thing. of, yeah. Have those conversations. And if your parents don't want to have them, then you need to have them because it's going to come back to you. And it's just, you're, you know, dealing with the cognitive issues, the move, the emotional part of it. And then all of that was yeah, And then you don't have access to this person when you need them. You don't go downtown to the bank anymore, right? And have a conversation with the banker who's known you forever. It's, it's, <laughs> you, I mean, everything's their passwords. There's multi-step verification and authentication you have to get through. It is just a lot to do. And had that all been more spelled out and more like, Hey, here's my thing. You know, he had a he had a list of passwords, but they're they're like from 1991 or something, so they weren't. You know. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and you you guys had to get an elder law attorney, didn't you? We tried, but then because they were going to divorce, 
Trish had decided um, that wife had agreed to a divorce because she was going to go into a long-term care. Uh, care facility and it would have been the race to the end of the money, basically. So divorce, split it, and then each one had, might have an opportunity. In Virginia, she had to be, there's like a four-year pay down, five-year pay down for Medicaid. And there's no long-term memory care Medicaid funded in Virginia either. So there wasn't an option for him to stay there. Because you thought you were going to have to really fight. Yeah. Wow. Yes. And we would have. And once we came to this agreement, fortunately, nothing ever, you know, we were working on it. We had the conversation. We all had a um, conference call. And then papers were not drawn up. And then she passed away on Christmas. So they ended up, their separation wasn't even filed. There are so many different moving parts. There are. What you went through. Particularly when it's a, you know, late in life marriage and there's other kids on the other side, kids that you have no relationship with and nor do they really have a relationship with her kids and have a relationship with George. I understand that they didn't want to take care of him, but yeah. also the fact that they moved him out there made it just difficult for us to do that. So and it's all, and it's all compacted in this space in time too, yeah. right? I mean, it's not like you have months and months to figure all this out. It is, it's a tight time frame where you have to really flow through all the, the hurdles and decision-making. And, and again, when he's here, you don't have, I mean, physically could not take care of him ourselves for any length of time like that. It really compacts the journey and forces you into decisions. Absolutely. And I think that's really common too, for things to move that quickly. Yeah. So your next step after getting him here to your house was then to find what his permanent living situation would be. <laughs> so what was that like? Well, <laughs> that was interesting again with COVID because he was supposed to move in. And then there was a snowstorm at, at Christmas time. He was supposed to move in right after Christmas. And there was the snowstorm which shut down all the COVID testing and he had to have a COVID test. He'd been at Mike's sister's and then she just said, you need to come get him. We made the decision that we weren't going to tell him he's moving in an adult family home yet because it could be a week away. Depending on when we get a COVID when test. We get COVID test. So let's not do it. Just coming back, giving you guys a break. That was our story. It was planned out. She decided to tell him while I was driving to Tacoma, you know, 45 minutes away, that oh, Mike's going to come pick you up, take you to a home. So I got there and just walked into it. Just, just... To a home. And that's what she says, a home. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. We kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, but that's where it gets really hard because I think sometimes those decisions are made out of that guilt that we feel. Yeah. And it's, it's just so hard. And of course, made your job so much harder. Yeah. But I mean, it just adds... So it adds to he's angry that he's going with me. I'm just a damn piece of luggage. You know, you treat me like this. And then so we get him here. He settles down to a certain degree. And then we got the COVID test and we got the okay to take him into the home. It was half hour from here, probably. He thought it was closer. Angry at me for that. Doesn't talk to me the whole time, really. And the drive. Yeah, on the drive. And then once you drop him off and you, you can't go in, right? So you at the door, here's his, here's his stuff. We'll have more stuff later. And, and, you know, this is George. This is the house manager. And he goes, well, okay, I guess I'm here or something like that. And w- went willingly, but 
Um, I said, well, do I get a hug? And he said, I'd rather not. I'm like, oh, oh no. That's kind of how I feel too. Oh, so, okay. No. Oh my gosh. So that was, that was what happened the day he moved in. Yeah. Right. What was the feedback that you got from the staff? We got quite a few calls from some good friends of his and his brother saying that George was calling and calling and complaining and was going to sue Mike and cut him out of the will and didn't like where he was. And they both said, well, I just want to let you know that I'm just not going to pick up the phone anymore. I've tried to redirect. I've tried to tell him it's the best thing for him, but it doesn't seem like he, I can understand that. And I don't feel that it's good for him just to like repeat this narrative constantly, then it becomes a reality in his mind. And we said, you know, that's completely fine. We understand that. I mean, it was a pretty quick, I'm going to say like within a week, he had stopped. I'm going to sue you. He, then he said, I really like it here, but I want some place where I can work out more. As much as an 88 year old worked out. I don't know. He sat in our chair for two weeks and didn't want to go for a walk. So, but that's part of what he remembers his being of. Yeah. He worked out all the time. So that's what he wants to do. I think after two weeks, he didn't say he wanted to leave. He said the people were nice. The food was good. It was a very lovely home. But it's still not the place he wants to be. Right. Because he didn't make the decision. And of yeah. course, it's not the place he wants to be. I mean, that's normal. You want yeah. to be on your own. But he is settled in. And some of that's from, I think, uh, he was probably a month into his, month and a half into his antidepressants that the neurologist put him on. He was seeing a doctor now. and got some meds that were straight for him from the doctor. So I think that that, that has helped as well, but it, it's really a, uh, it's a great environment mm-hmm. you know, in, in the house. I think he's, he's really appreciative of the, the level of care and that he's always wanted somebody to take care of him too. To <laughs> he likes to be waited on. He's talked a lot about, well, I want to be able to do all these things, but the reality is that he's not comfortable doing those things. He doesn't want to go out and do anything. That's kind of frightening to him. He really wants to sit in his chair and he wants to be in an environment that he feels secure in. And, and he, he can, has that. And now. he can talk to and people. And he can talk to people. And he has that. And, and it provides all of that. So I think, I think like, especially when I went to this my mom, I thought like, oh my gosh, she's just going to be in this place. But I'm like, but she's not in the situation that I'm in. I'm not in her situation. And it's a safe situation. And there can be enough stimulation for them, but yet it's safe and it's a routine and someone there, you know, to take care of. Them. And I think that's a really good point too, that we didn't talk about. It's not only it's the level of care, it's the, that we couldn't provide. It's the, it's that stimulation. It's that we're trying to go about our own lives and that may sound a little hollow and stuff, but I mean, still, I mean, it's. It's your work and you still have your own stuff you have yeah. to take care of. And Mike's trying to work. We're trying to balance all of our work and. That's what they're there for. And they're, he gets that, the stimulation mm-hmm. that he needs. Yeah. And I think there's something to be said for having that community with someone that's closer to your age. Yeah. Right. You know, Most and definitely. so he's yeah. got that. I love, you touched on a couple of things, but I, I love how you were able to have that conversation with his friends. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's, that's something that, I don't think it's really come up before for everyone to sort of get on the same page. And, and there's that little level of guilt. I'm not going to answer the phone. <laughs> like, like that feels bad, but in yes. the end, it was probably the best thing for him at the time. It was. Yeah, they, they really asked, is that okay? You know, Mike, and I'm like, yeah, we're, we're going to stay away for two to three weeks. I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm going to give him two weeks to try to settle in and 
they're like, okay, that that's what I thought as well. It makes, you know, it makes sense. So, you know, I'm going to take January and not talk. Right. And so. when I was, when he was here and I, you know, I would, would listen to him and he was on his phone all day long calling people. And I think the more we repeat something or the more we hear something, the more real it becomes. And if everyone can be on board together and not like give those up or provide the opportunities for that narrative take place, I think is helpful. Absolutely. And the other thing that I really love that you said was just having that acknowledgement that what he says he wants to do is not necessarily what he wants to do. Right. (laughs) He wants to want to be able to do that. Right. And I think a lot of families struggle with that. Mm -hmm. That's another point of guilt. And so just having that acknowledgement, knowing that that isn't a reality. I I think that's really important too. You know, where is he today versus, you know, memories of and and things I think are being realistic of what his capabilities were. Yeah, absolutely. And what makes what makes him comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Because when I asked him, you know, do you want to go for a walk? No, I, I don't. It, you know, it, it's raining or it's cold. I don't like weather, you know, something like that. There's always reasons why, but. And even um, taking him out for lunch, he didn't enjoy it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You know, just whether it was hearing or all the noise and he just wasn't comfortable. He wanted to get back home. Yeah. Yeah. It becomes very, I mean, their world shrinks and it becomes really difficult yes. to do things like outings and things like that. So. Yeah, I can absolutely see that. But then they're, like you said, they're having all these memories of, oh, when I used to run a marathon, when I used to ride a bike. Right. <laughs> you know? I had a sailboat and traveled. Yes, and exactly. So, what would you say, just with everything you guys have been through, would be your number one doable tip for families? Well, uh, what we really haven't talked, I think we've skipped over a, a real important part, and that is your, your involvement in <laughs> us finding you know, getting to this place because Liz has been through it. I've been kind of listening with her mother, but haven't gone through the detail that she had. And I'm a pretty capable person, but I, I really wouldn't have known where to start to, uh-huh. you know, to really to understand what type of home, what's the best opportunity for him. Quite frankly, I didn't know that there were adult homes, memory care homes, like, like he's in, right? In a neighborhood. Mike already has us kicked out because he's found some that <laughs> are so lovely. <laughs> um, so I, I think that, that part, is, it was just, I wouldn't want to say it was easy, but anything, I mean, if you have a consultant that helps you that, that knows, it. knows it and understands where you're coming from, some of the struggles, I mean, that, to me, that was absolutely the most helpful. And then the owner of the, of the home has just been, you know, so easy to deal with and really caring. You know, we only toured two, but I think both were that way. There was a level of care there. There was a level of wanting to, you know, make that person as comfortable as they were or could be in the situation. So to me, I think that that really stands out as a priority to really explore for people, right? Is to get to that realization that, okay, they need some help. I need some help. And then I guess I would say trust along with trusting you as an expert, but trust the experts. I mean, the doctors, the assessments, they're not going to put someone in a memory care that doesn't belong there. We knew it. He just didn't know it. Work through that and trust that it's going to be the right thing. So, yeah, I think it's the, you know, know your, know your lane, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, trust the professionals and kind of distance yourself of, you know, detach yourself maybe from emotional as much as possible to help ease into that transition. I think is was probably crucial to that. And then the self-awareness to understand that I, I can't do this. I can't give him the level of care that, that somebody else can that he needs. That is also 
helps, you know, move through the process as well. Mm-hmm. I think everyone would love to be able to just do it on their own, but <laughs> there are so many different options. There are, there's just so much out there. I mean, just everything we've already talked about, you had so much stress right. already on your plate. Like there were so many things you guys were doing. Uh, well, and I think the the quickness in what you have to react to, right? I mean, that's also the other piece. And I think if you were on your own, you would probably lose a couple opportunities as you're trying to make a decision. And I think you really help us to fully understand that it, if it feels right, do it. And I guess that what I want people to take away from this is that they're not alone. They're not. And, and they're doing the right thing. Yeah. As tough as the decision feels like at times, it really is. You look back now and it's definitely the right decision. And I think that my sister took enough time to get her there. We definitely did. And, and you know, you just, just know that it, you would not be as happy here or at her house than, than he is where you today. Today's episode is brought to you by ClearPath Senior Living Solutions. ClearPath helps families find assisted living, memory care, and other resources. Find our contact information in today's show notes. Check out this episode's doable download in show notes for details, including industry terms and definitions we discussed, as well as a bonus tip from our guest. Have questions or your own tips to share? Leave us a message. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, make it doable. Oh,